0: Enjoy local voices, enjoy local opinions, all on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts, featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local.
1: Say It Loud Network presents Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith. If you've ever heard a rap or hip hop song in the last 25 years, it's very likely that in some way and in some connection, you've heard the work or influence of my next guest. Kevin Lyles isn't just an impresario in the world of hip hop, he's a kingmaker and one of the biggest names in the game. He was there when it started, and he's built a career around a musical genre and culture that has changed the landscape of music forever. Hey, Kevin. Welcome to the show, man.
0: Hey, brother. Good to see you. I'm glad you're safe. You got that smile, that that $100 million smile on, and I hope the family's well. That's because I'm vaccinated, so I'm feeling good. <laughs> Listen, I'm one step closer to being fully vaccinated. We like that. You know, you have such
1: a a phenomenal career so inspiration. I've known, I've known of you for so long. You're, you've been in the entertainment on the music side of things. I've been more on the TV side, but I've known your name. Your name is an, it's synonymous with success. Let's start in the beginning. You know, I read somewhere where you described yourself as a street kid. What does that mean?
0: Um, I, I, I mean, there's many, um, adaptations, uh, or I'd say meanings that, People might have in life, but um, I'll simply put it uh, I was a kid who grew up with a rusted spoon in my mouth. Um, uh, I I was still fed, uh, but something I couldn't have changed is my my parents or the environment that I was in as a a child. Um, So those choices weren't up to me. So um, uh, I I grew up, you know, in the streets of Baltimore. Baltimore is a tough city. Uh, th- th- there's a lot of uh, uh, tough cities out there, but uh, I- I'm just proud to to say, as as tough as it is, everything about it has made me uh, who I am today. And if you cut me open, I still bleed Baltimore.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting. I agree with you that you know I live in Chicago. Chicago's a tough city. Okay,
0: so oh, oh yeah, oh yeah.
1: <laughs> so there are a lot of tough cities, but. What I find interesting is when you meet people who come from tough cities and come from tough environments and they become extremely successful, those people are still appreciative of the environment they grew up in. They don't shun the environment they grew up in.
0: Yeah, I don't. How can you shun something that's part of your life, that helps shape your life, that helps shape your choices, that had angels and bumpers of add to um, helping you make choices, Uh, In life, Um, like I said, you know, my part of my legacy um, uh, is to me making sure that kid can look up at that street corner sign and say, well, how how did Kevin Lyles get a street name after him or Mm. or play on the the stadium and say, how did uh, he to build a stadium at his old high school or to go to Morgan State and say, well, I heard that you know Kevin Lowes, you know, was an artist and he, he started thinking about entrepreneurship at, at Morgan State. Those things are, are just uh, important to me. And, and if I can be of service in any way to a city that help shape me, who am I to, to shun away from it? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I love the city.
1: You know, I have a, um, a personally, I have a, um, a personal warmth for Morgan State. I went to school up in the Northeast, uh, up in Boston, Uh, I went to school there. I went to grad schools in Northeast. But Morgan State, when I was a little kid, I went to a basketball uh, camp there, Dr. J's basketball camp at Morgan Mm -hmm. State. And uh, I was so young, I didn't understand really the college environment or what an HBCU was. It wasn't until I got older that I realized the importance of HBCUs that I appreciated Morgan State. And so you know, you growing up as a kid in Baltimore um, and, and, and in the environment you grew up in, what was it that made you feel like, despite, as you said, y- you can't choose your parents, you can't choose the environment you grow up in, but what was it that said to you, to a young Kevin, hey, you can make it and you're going to make it?
0: Uh, I, I don't think I ever looked at life at making it. I look at life as surviving it mm. and what a lot of people um, don't realize um, like success and you know my success was did I get to wake up and live another day you know my <laughs> success my success was um seeing my grandmother um sweep the whole block not just in front of her house uh, my grandfather go to work every day and no matter what uh, was important to provide boys' family. My success also was the drug dealer on the corner that had all the girls and the money <laughs> and the clothing. My, my success was the the, the, the church, uh, which I uh, sung in the choir or Boy Scouts or, or playing uh, basketball and football and baseball. Those were just things that kids did. To own your own business, to uh, create... I, I, didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't know that this existed. You know what I mean? <laughs> and um, to me... Um, I never looked let me look forward to tomorrow remember because in baltimore at age 16 you're supposed to be on drugs dead or in jail Mm. so when i when i got to 21 i said oh i might i might get to live a life you know what i mean (laughs) but but, but never never expected in my wildest dreams to be 50. uh never Mm. expect uh expected in my wildest dreams to be able to be of service and Live for the greater good, the greater God, because, again, I was in survival mode. And and, and, yeah. and I'll be honest with you. I'm still in, in survival mode because there's a lot of work to be done. I, a, I saw Kobe posted uh, something, two championships, of two, uh, two games up in the championship game. And the reporter said, why are you not smiling? You're two games up. He said, because the job's not done. I still feel that, God, you gave me 50 years on this earth. And you showing me all this, I still feel my job is not done. And so I'm still in that mode uh, of survival. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad
1: you said that because I feel the same way, by the way. I feel like I'm blessed to have lived, um, you know, to see 50. And I also feel like while I've done a lot, people tell me, I feel like there's a lot left to do. And that's what keeps motivating me and fuels me to want to keep doing things. People say, well, how many things do you do? As many as, many as I can do. I, I don't have a limit. I'm going to just keep going. I want to, I, I want people read your name. They see your name and they associate it with, I mean, you are a luminary when it comes to the music industry, particularly hip hop. I mean, you are, you are one of the Kings. There's no doubt about it. Uh, <laughs> you're you're King, but it didn't start that way. People see you where you are now, but they don't know what you've been through. I want to go back to you being an intern at Def Jam and anyone who doesn't understand or know hip hop culture, Def Jam was the absolute seminal gateway uh, for what people hear and listen to and the culture that is such an international sensation. Def Jam is one of those those pioneering frontiers. Talk about being an intern in a place like Def Jam.
0: Doc, I don't know if we have enough hours to <laughs> even, even go, but I, I'll try to give you the, 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 the short version. Um, and some critical points uh, in, in in my life that led me to that. Um, number one, I always was faced with uh, choices. It, it has to go back to uh, when I was in high school and I had to make some choices around uh hobby, uh, what I love to do, and what was calling to me. Uh, music called me. Um, hip-hop saved my life. Um, I had to make a choice on in my senior year whether or not I would continue to play football or would dedicate my my life to uh, the creative space around um music so i made that choice uh i made the choice of being a life scout and not getting eagle scout because hip-hop was calling me in, in in such a way um i made the choice uh i remember My guidance counselor said, well, Kevin, what do you want to go to college to be? I said, I want to go to college to get money. I said, I I don't, to be, I don't, I don't have uh, entrepreneurs and engineers. I I didn't know what they were around, I didn't know these. And so he said, well, what do you like to do? He said, well, you know, we know you're good at math. You're, You're very creative. I said, well, who makes the most money? Well, this is a thing called engineering, <laughs> you know, that people are doing it. And maybe you should be an electrical engineer. I said, well, how much do they make? I said, well, I'm going to be an electrical engineer. And he said, well, great. I'm glad you chose that because uh, Morgan State is starting an engineering program, but you got to go to school when, after you graduate. I said, so I don't get a summer? I said, well, that's a sacrifice I'm going to make because I get my college paid for. I'm um, going to go in engineering. But this hip hop thing. Oh, I got to work to get money and all these things that led to, you know, me being able to be a provider. I didn't know what to call it back then. I said, get money. You know what I mean? I wanted to, to get money. So I've started the engineering school at Morgan State in, in, in 86. and. Um, the hip-hop thing still calling me. I'm in the rap group and the whole thing going on. And oh, my song starts to get big. I'm on tour opening up for LL Cool J and Run DMC and uh, on tour with LaVert and Rob Bass and and I'm in college electrical engineering. So the dean calls me and says, um, you know, Kev, you know, you come to school half the time, you get good grades, but you know, I know other people doing your work, and you you sending stuff in on the phone. He said, "You know, what do you really want to do?" I said, "Man, all I know is there's this guy named Russell Simmons, and he's sitting on a Bentley, a Rolls Royce, in a HBCU hoodie. You know, what I mean, that's my thing. I know that." And I don't know if I'm able to finish you know, 13 credits you know, shy because I wasn't going to school to be an a electrical engineer. I was going to school to find something that I can get money. And I'm making money in this. And I'm at a marketing uh, agency and I became uh, an 18, 19 assistant manager um, and I'm overseeing people double my age. And I said, this thing is calling me, man. And I understand that the engineering thing is good to have your degree, but I really got to Take advantage of what's in front of me right now. And long story short, from Millie Vanilli stealing the record, or they didn't steal it. Frank Ferrion stole the record. Girl, you know it's true. Had to sue, hire a lawyer and sue. And it was at that moment that I knew that. Wait, uh, stole your? Wait, hold
1: on. They stole your record.
0: Yeah, so so we did "Girl," you know, it's true originally, uh, and sold a hundred thousand copies. Uh, Frank Farrell heard it in Germany uh, and remade it and said it was his record. And eighteen million copies later, um, I'm in a lawsuit <laughs> with what? them uh, uh, about the record. And it was that moment you, you would love this, Doc. I'm I'm at home, have a girl, you know, girlfriend at that particular time, and she says, "Kev, they playing your record." Now me, of course they play in my record. I'm a I'm New mom. I'm, I'm big, I'm, I'm doing an open. Uh, she said, no, but they play in the video. I'm waking up. I said, I didn't make a video. And I saw Millie Nilly performing, Girl, You Know It's True. And it was at that moment that I said to myself, I no longer want to be in the music business. I want to be in the business of music. And mm. I searched my Rolodex and I said, who do I know? in the music business. And of course I knew a lot of people, but there was one guy named Wes Johnson and he was from Baltimore. He was a senior vice president of marketing and promotions for Def Jam. Oh, I used to go to every conference and every place. And I said, met Wes. I said, Wes. He said, what up, Kev? I said, yo, you remember you used to play my record, don't you? He said, man, that was a big record. You know, I said, well, Wes, I, I really want to work for Def Jam. He said, Kev, I can't just hire you. You know, I said, Wes, you know I know everybody down here. <laughs> they know my music. He said, Kev, but it just doesn't work like that. He said, but tell you what, uh, would you like to intern? Intern? What do you mean intern? He said, work for free. He <laughs> <I'm-> said, <laughs> <Is> that- <laughs> <It's- laughs> And and listen, Ken know West. You know, West was hardcore. You know what I mean? He said, work for free, MFA. I said, well, I'm making money. I got money coming in royalties from the record. Uh, I'm at this place as an intern. So I was actually going to college, working at World Connections Travel, and had my own label called Mark's Brothers Records when I decided to intern. Now, problem with letting a Baltimore kid or Chicago kid <laughs> or Detroit kid into something. Oh, you don't you know, open up the door. You don't let me in. That's and, right. And- That's right. So I interned uh, and I never looked at myself as an intern. I looked at myself as the president of interns. I never mm. looked at myself uh, as working for somebody. I looked at myself servicing a culture mm. and I would overdo everything. And they had um, hired a regional to come down. And the guy was from Boston named Kevin Mitchell. Mm. And I called Wes. I said, Wes, I've been doing this. Why would you hire somebody mm. that's not even from here? And you want me to intern for them? He said, intern. So quiet as kept, Kevin would let me listen to all the calls. Uh, whenever artists was in town, I knew everybody. I was an artist myself, so they hung out with me the whole nine. And I remember Kevin on a call said, yo, my intern is better than all of us. And I'm, I'm looking at him like, why would you say that? Everybody gonna hate me now. You know what I mean? Like, I- what, what but, but he was just speaking his truth uh, at that moment. He, we were doing so good that he got moved up. And so they said, well, Kevin, you know, we'll let you interview for the job. Now, you know, I, I'm, I'm from Baltimore. Now I'm intern, now you want me to put another word, interview, word. I'm doing the job, no problem. So I go I, I go up, like it should go to any interview, a suit on, briefcases, the, the charts and graphs of, <laughs> of everything. So I come and I'm sitting, and so I'm sitting in the conference room, people I don't even know. And I'm like, what are you here for? They said, well, we're here for the Mid-Atlantic job. I said, "My job. How are you here for my job? You know, I'm not. I'm like, okay, interview. And these guys are like, but well, why do you have a suit on? I'm like, I'm at a job interview. God, I'm supposed to have a suit on. You know, you're like, what, what, you know, what is all that stuff you have? Which I said is my market research and, and everything of what I've been doing over the last couple of years. So go in, I think I kill the interview, whatever, silence for three months. I'm back in, in Baltimore, you know, still, you know, doing intern stuff, working at the place, and I get a call. And the call was from Julie Greenwald. She's now the uh, COO of Atlantic Records, and she was West's assistant. And she says, "You know, we really love your presentation." I, I said, "Well, it took you three months to say that." You know, again, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm in my feelings. You know what I mean? Like, you know, um, and she said, "Well, we we would we we would love for you to uh, work with us as a regional, uh, and we're gonna pay you thirty thousand dollars a year." Now, I'm already making a lot of money, already, so I'm like. Thirty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> I said, but it's Def Jam. I said, I can work. I can. I can work with you guys for that. She said, No, you'll work for us, Click. So that was my intern, and, and I, I call that moment in time the price you have to pay. Mm. when you have a rusted spoon in your mouth and you're not inheriting something and you're not given something from for the color of your skin and you're not mm. uh you 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 not the son of this or or or, mm-hmm. or that and so mm-hmm. that internship uh taught me humility God didn't give it to me fast. He made me work through it. And even though I, I did it, he he said, that's not enough. You have to uh, outperform, outdo, and I'm still going to make you wait. Mm. Uh, mm. Because what I'm going to have in store for you, I want to make sure you can handle at a young age.
1: I got to tell you something. You know, it really resonates with what you're saying, because I also started as an intern, by the way. I started with the same way you did, rusted Spoon in the mouth. And every step along the way, I felt like, wow, I got to... I got to redo this all over again. I got I to gotta work all over again. I got to, you know, haven't I proven myself yet? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that young people understand that sometimes, not sometimes, it's about putting in the work. That's what we like to say in sports. You got to put the work in, okay? Mm-hmm. And even, even when you're being asked to put the work in and you don't understand why, you have to trust your mentors and people who know, you know, like Wes, you got to trust them that they know what they're doing and they're trying to get you to put that work in so that you will be ready to do what you're going to do. And now, 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 there you go from intern to the president of Def Jam. Mm-hmm. I mean, right? And I'm sure when you look back, all of those experiences you had when you were a low man on a totem pole made you a better president because you understood all
0: facets of the business, right? You, you know, I was an artist, so I knew how art. I wanted, I wanted to be treated. Um, and so I knew how I wanted to treat the artists. Uh, on top of that, I knew the um, how to engineer my way through things, and there was no shortcut to it. And the hard work part, my 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 my, my dad and my my grandfather always, you know, said, show up, put in the mm. work, mm. show 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 up, even when other people won't show up. That's right. And I, I started to all the terms, you know, sleep is the cousin of death. And, you know, the early bird gets the worm and all, all those. all. Those, and and I'm, I'm bringing this to an industry where everybody was, you know, come to work at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, have the water cooler moment. Oh, shit, it's lunchtime. <laughs> I'm like, no, guys, I, I don't understand any of that. Uh, Because, again, I'm in survival mode. You let me in. I got to I got to be here and. I remember uh, in '96, nine, in I think they came to me and said, "Man, you know, we're gonna have to make you president uh, because all the artists, you know, love you and they love when they come." And I said, "Guys, I don't know the world like that. I, these, I don't know these people like that. They're gonna all, all of a sudden report to me." I said, "I, I, don't, I don't think it, it will be the best thing for the organization if I'm just named president um, without having the tools in my toolbox to not only have the title." but actually perform the job at a level that I want to perform it. Mm. And so for those that year and a half, um, I went into training, you know, Mm. learning what the landscape around the world looked like, learning of of how could I be of service at Def Jam in a way that from Rick's uh, isms and Russell isms to Lior isms to having my isms Mm. uh, um, that work, what would that mean? And then I remember Russell and Leah saying, you don't have a choice. We're naming you the president. <laughs> and I know we know you're 30 years old, but, you know, uh, we need you the president. Uh, go to work. And so that's how it happened.
1: And you went to work. Not only did you go to work, and not only were you overseeing the most productive and the most iconic period of the record label's history, you also grew even bigger. Then you went and uh, you also headed Warner which is a huge, huge house. Were you the first African-American to head that?
0: Well, I was the executive vice president. You know, I always tell people, um, a lot of times I'm the only black guy in the room. Yeah. And I, again, at that that Mumba mentality, the job is not done Um, Mm -hmm. when you see it. And so I was at that time the highest ranking uh, African-American in the business. I wasn't a a chairman of a label or any I was actually inside of the corporate group. And uh, Def Jam gave me my bachelor's, Warner Music Group gave me my master's. Uh, <laughs> I like that. that. I like um, that. And I just remembered, you know, because you're reporting to a board of directors, Bain Capital, mm-hmm. Providence, Thomas H. Lee, blah, blah, blah. And it's just a different, you know, kind of. They didn't care about the things that the creative community or the artists cared about. They cared about EBITDA. They cared about revenue <laughs> and blah, blah, things. And it was that- all, all, all new to me. Um, so, uh, that, that period of time, I, I, I learned a lot and I spent, um, oh, four, five years there, oh, four to oh nine, um, there. And then, uh, again, the decision tree comes up, you know, yeah. um, what you, what you want to do, how you want to do it. And I had to make another choice then. So here you are, I mean, you've worked
1: with the biggest artists in the hip hop name, some of the artists you've worked with over the years,
0: uh, I mean, I, I, I'll go Just back. some of them. Okay, that uh, Run DMC, uh, Public Enemy, um, Slick Rick, EPMD, uh, to LL Cool J, Redman, Method Man, Jay Z, DMX, Ja Rule, Ashanti, Ludacris, Domino, Warren G. Man, I mean, I that, mean, that's that, that's that that's only Def Jam. <laughs> I, I didn't I mean, get to. <laughs> think,
1: think about this. You. That's the equivalent of someone saying, "Yeah." I was a producer for Brad Pitt, Denzel Washington, Julia <laughs> Roberts. I mean, it's just, it, I, I, I'm just trying to get people to understand how huge and how rare of an heir you have occupied in this space and how your name will go down in history as the king. I mean, it's just it, one of the kings. It just, it has to, and I'm just being honest with you. And what I've loved about your story, though this is what's most heartwarming to me is that regardless of how successful you've been through the years, you still work. You still have that fire. You can't teach people fire, by the way, uh, Kevin, you can't teach it. And I'm the same way. And I try to tell others, one thing I can teach you, kind of, I can teach you how to lose weight. I can teach you how to write novels, but I can't give you the passion and the fire to wake up early in the morning and to stay up late at night to get the job done. And that's what I love about your passion is the fire inside of there.
0: You, you, you know, uh, I have a 22 year old son, a 20 year old daughter, a nine year old and a six year old. And it's just some things you, you you can't teach, you know what I mean? But you give uh, every opportunity. And I, I tell the young kids now, guys, you're not going to outwork me. You know, what I mean, a uh, small, small story when I, they gave me the, the job. I wasn't I was the general manager of promotions, whatever title they made up for me at that particular time. And I would come in the office, you know, eight o'clock and I would see a, a light on in the corner. And it was the president and chairman at the time, Leor. And I'm like, oh, he's not going to beat me to work. Said, no, he's not beating me to work. So I c- came in at 730. The light was on still. And so we going back and forth, and he's told me, I will always be here before you. And I said, Let's just we're, we're the, wow. <laughs> we'll end at 7.30. We'll be here. We'll be here. Because in my mind, I said, who am I to come in after the chairman? Who, what, what? And, and, and so we, we started a culture of guys. We're here to work. This is a business, you know, a radio station's on for 24 hours. You know what I mean? Why, why do we think our artists shouldn't be serviced for 24 hours? So I remember I used to take little notes and uh, write on people's doors, What makes you better than me to come in after me? Because I was changing culture. I was changing culture and mindset, you know, uh, in in a company. And so I I, I can only say that fire, you ever have something and you never want to lose it, like a a love or an opportunity. um, I I just was willing to do whatever it took um, to not have to be a statistic you know, what I mean, I wanted to be a success story so that that's even to this day uh, to be of service. There's nothing I, I wouldn't do. And that, that's how I look at life. Um, I never looked at it like, oh, I get to work for this one or I get to do this. or this I never looked at it. woke up, wake up every day and say oh, another day for me to make it happen. <laughs> what the compass is that I'm, I'm going to do? Maybe talking to Barack one day or talking to T.I. or going to help this person. I, I'm, I'm going to go put in the work. So that's, that's really how I looked at life. Let me say this to
1: you. It's interesting. When you are successful like yourself and you have worked really hard to get where you are and then you have children who are not growing up in the environment that you grew up in, which was part of your motivation, same with me, by the way, People don't understand how difficult it is to try to create an environment for your kids so that they have some type of organic feeling or drive to succeed rather than living off of your success and what you can provide for them. It's not very easy and I know it sounds I know it sounds like problems, you know, you know, first world problems, but it really <laughs> It's difficult when because the way I am is I love I, I have a hard work ethic. I love to work. I love getting results. It makes me feel good and keeps me going. I want the same for my kids, but I can't create the environment that I had as a kid. I can't create a false environment.
0: I can't create those struggles. How do you handle that? I don't know if "handles" the word. I can tell you I'm dealing with it. <laughs> I can tell you that <laughs> um, it's an ongoing uh, conversation and evolution. My kids uh went uh back to Baltimore because of uh of, of divorce with my ex. Uh and I thought what better how all my family's there, everybody's there. And so as as a dad, it's hard to not be with your kids every day. But I think I thought the best thing for them was to be in Baltimore. Uh, again again, live a different life, private schools and the whole thing, but they still got to see the things mm-hmm. uh around them in that environment, and because you know, I, I was there all the time. I got to take them around places that you know they might not have should have went. <laughs> you know, better term. But um, and I remember my son. Uh, you know, again, he's twenty two. You know, he said to me, because his name is Kevin Lyles, he said to me, "Daddy, I have to be my own Kevin Lyles." Hmm. You know what I mean? And I said, "I, I want you to be." Uh, but I, uh, in the typical parent fashion, I don't want you to struggle with the, but, but the reality of it is um, in order for them to be whole as a human being, they're going to have to travel their own path. Mm-hmm. And to me, as, as much as I want to uh, hover them and, and get, I have to allow those choices and, and one of the hardest conversations I had to have with him was, I can't give you what the, uh, uh, what, what wasn't given to me. Right. I can show you what opportunity looks like. I can talk to you about leverage. I can do all those things. But you are you're hard hit like your dad. You're gonna have to mm. figure it out. You have to go through life and figure it out. So this conversation of uh, what we're having right now is ever evolving. And mm. I realize like my mom tells me, you know, um, you know, she's seventy years old, she says, No matter how old you are, you're gonna be my baby. Mm. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I tell the same son, no, I don't care how old you are, what choices you make, you're still gonna be my son, my daughter. Uh but I hope hopefully through the choices uh and through the opportunity that I I show you about what life has to offer you, you'll make the right choices. So with him, I'm allowing him to 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 find his way. But you know, just him him having uh the the, the uh, audacity even say to me, I have to be my own Kevin Lowes and mm. my daughter who had like 12 scholarships to play basketball at different schools, you know, I get to wear the hat and she chose school (laughs) and and go and she says, you know, she makes an announcement. She said, you know, I'd like to thank everybody, you know, my mom and dad. And a lot of people say, you know, do you want to, are you going to play in the WNBA? She said, no, it's two reasons why I'm I'm playing basketball. Number one, because God, he gave me the gift to be able to do it. Uh, and number two, my parents paid for school since I was in kindergarten. I didn't want them to have to pay for college. Wow. I said, oh, I raised a good one. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I, I, I raised a good one. And so right. God, God will give you signs, Doc, as you go through life uh, and your report card on, on how you're doing as a, a, a father or a mother. And he's constantly giving me signs to my oldest and um, my youngest now, a nine and six year old. Um, mm-hmm. They um, um, he's teaching me uh, how to be present um, mm-hmm. when or when I was young. Young Cav was all this about getting money. Mm-hmm. And now um, uh, I'm at a point where I want freedom, freedom to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, who I want to do it with and yes. pre- be present with my family. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still evolving as a person also.
1: Yeah, me too. Hey, before I get, I I always end my interviews and conversations with something called the random seven. But before we go there, I have to ask you this question because this is so critical. I can't talk to you and not ask you this question. When I was a young boy like you, hip hop had just come on the scene. I remember my aunt bringing home grandmaster flash, uh sugar hill gang. I remember that I still have the album that I never opened up a collector's item. I got it. Okay. So, and I remember her coming home saying, This is the new style. And, you know, my grandparents telling us, you know, telling her, Don't bring that stuff in the house. The whole thing. Okay. (laughs) I was there. Okay. But I have to tell you, from when I was a little boy to where I am now, I never imagined that that style of music would become the sensation, the international sensation that it is today. Everyone doubted it. It's not going to last. It's a passing fancy. It's just the opposite. Hip hop. The culture of hip-hop is one of the greatest exports from American pop culture, period. Whether I'm in Japan or China or Germany, hip-hop is international. It's an international language. I want to ask you, what do you think about here we are in this moment of awakening in the country and various parts of the world, but there's been a lot of talk about how hip-hop has, the culture itself, has been pilfered and stolen from, from those who didn't originate it, from non-blacks who have profited gigantically off of a culture and have tried to keep the culture into one of violence and mayhem because it's more profitable. What do you say to people who, who criticize that hip hop has not been served best by the outsiders and what is the
0: future of it? You go with one of those questions that, that <laughs> you know going to require me of uh, um, reading stamp from the beginning and all, all, all the all the books by my my friends that um, are constantly reminding me. But we're our culture uh, was built on no's. Our culture was built on uh, lack of opportunity, lack of access. Uh, so you know. <laughs> Everything. Uh, when there's opportunity and, and money and economics involved, uh, there will be a system uh, placed a- a- around it to oppress our people. But it's different. Uh, but it's different about hip hop uh, because it was born out of oppression. Mm-hmm. It was born out of uh, you don't want me to wear your clothes. Uh, you don't you don't want, you only want to play me on one hour every Friday night. Uh, you know, and what happened is they didn't realize we were never making music. We were building culture and by mm-hmm. building a culture. Um, oh, eventually a mayor is going to be somebody who loves hip hop. That's right. That's right. Uh, eventually, eventually, uh, the engineer is going to be somebody who loves hip hop. The program director is going to be the, the the doctor is going to be somebody who loves hip hop. And oh, shit. You got black and white and green and all colors of people. You know, I always say, and, and, and my, my, my my civil rights friends say, "Kev, watch yourself." I say, you know, hip hop has done so much for race relations, and it's mm-hmm. and, and we haven't got the respect uh, that yes. we have by bringing people together, you know, in a way. Uh, um, so I don't look at um people pillaging and you know raping the, the culture because I don't believe. You could do what we do. Mm-hmm. That that's just that, I, it, it's just you know um, you can't out rap me or out you know hip hop me or out because we actually we actually created uh, uh, the culture and I use every inch of my, my my body and all of my time uh being a bridge um mm-hmm. and not a fire uh to uh to make sure people understand. Um, that, uh, we, we, this music survives unlike any other music, the number one music in, in the world right now, because it was born out of a place of necessity. Mm-hmm. And, um, we, you can't, you can't take that away from us. You know what I mean? So to me, I, I don't look at it in the negative ways. And yes, there's the glass ceilings that we got to break and the C-suite doesn't look like the music people consume. Right. But uh, in, in, in my Kobe voice, is the job done? Yeah. Job not done. Job not yeah. done.
1: Well, I got to tell you, let me tell you, when I'm, when I'm in Sweden and they're playing hip-hop hard in our hip-hop, I sit there and my brother said, now this is what people back home don't realize how big hip-hop is. Here we are way over in Sweden on a Saturday night and all they're blasting is hip-hop. That started yeah. back, as you say, in the struggle. So I just, you're right, I don't think hip-hop gets enough credit for what it's done for civil rights and for bringing people together.
0: Hip-hop doesn't get it, and neither does the Negro spiritual.
1: Mm, yes. Mm-hmm, yes.
0: What, 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 which which was also born out of oppression. Out of real oppression. You're, you're, so, so, so you go, you go through um, uh, anything that was born out of a, 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 a oppression is underappreciated, but through faith, we work hard every single day. Because how about this? They're they're kids that'll never get to see Sweden. If it were not for hip hop, I didn't have Mm -hmm. to put a gun in my hand and go kill people I didn't know uh, for some war that I want to fight. Hip hop provided me a landscape, a larger landscape for me to come back home and say, yo, really, when you go to Africa, it's not just a jungle, guys. It's not right. just the Hebrews and ape no it looks like san francisco or the cape town that's <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> and they were kings and queens prior to like so right. again it, it it provided uh so I just wanted to add that little note yeah. to, me, no, to it so
1: no that's good i just i just said to my mother last night because um we were talking about skip gates henry louis gates did the pbs the black church that special and i mm-hmm. said well did they sing any old negro spirituals because i'm a child of god in the church and so as a little kid, though I didn't understand the Bible very well, I didn't understand religion well, I could relate to the words of the songs. There was something about the songs, uh, the, not just the words, but the way the words delivered. To this day, I'll be around the house, and I'll start singing something. My kids will be like, what you singing? And it's something I remember as a six-year-old boy sitting next to my grandmother listening to the choir sing. So uh, I, I, I appreciate you actually saying that about the Negro spiritual. Okay, these are seven quick questions, fast answers. Um that I ask, and you just shoot whatever comes out.
0: Um, number one, what does success look like to you? Freedom. Um, nothing more than, than, than freedom. That, that, I, don't, I don't calculate it with money uh, anymore. I just calculate it with freedom to do what I want, when I want, with who I want, how I want. That That's success to me.
1: If you were not working as a music executive
0: or artist, what would your career be? Probably be of service um, in the church. Uh, probably be of of, of service um, in some philanthropic organization. Um, I, I don't. I don't. I. I want i a, a politician, a mayor. Um, uh, you know, people ask me to run for mayor all the time, of Baltimore, <laughs> um, senator. I would. I would be. I would be of service because my life is fulfilled when I'm able to uh, make other people happy. That. So I, I would. I would be of service. Okay. What do you
1: own? That's really expensive, but you don't feel guilty about
0: golf. My own fitted golf clubs. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. A, go- a, go- a golf membership to Alpine Country Club. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I, that is a guilty pleasure that I'm okay with how they feel about it. Okay. We're going to play sometime, by the way. We're going to play. Uh, I, talk, I, you, you let Achilles, don't let him talk that and not do it. So get, make sure you circle back and get that done. We'll do it. Okay.
1: Who would you like to have a long dinner with who you haven't met yet and why?
0: Ooh, Martin Luther King. I, I would want to talk to him about that calling and how it was the most important thing to him. And he gave his life, you know, for it. I'd like to have a conversation with Jesus. Again, walked amongst the people, sacrifice, the whole thing. And, and, my, you know, Malcolm, I go down the list of all the people of service because I really truly believe it's why God still has me here. You know what I mean? Um so I I would say Martin number 1 and um you know Jesus, you know number 2.
1: It's interesting you say that by the way because Martin what most people don't know about Martin Luther King is that Martin Luther King was somewhat forced to be in the position that he was in. They said to him you're going to do this. Like like they said to you you're going to be the president. He it was very similar. He said I I'm not ready for this. No you you're ready for this. This is your call and this is so it's very interesting you chose that. I, I, I like that parallel because the same thing happened to you. What really makes Kevin Lyles angry?
0: Angry? I, I, don't, I don't know if I – see, here's, here's another thing. I don't know if I, I, I really get angry uh, anymore because I accept people for who they are and um, what their, their life path lead them. But when someone does not take advantage of an opportunity – or a blessing that's given to them to its fullest. I'm disappointed, so I won't. Mm-hmm. It won't be angry. I, I don't. I, I can't get angry because that's the the you know God made them for who they are, what they want in life. But uh, I tell everybody, you know, He doesn't allow you to wake up and not create something great that day. You know, so so people, you know, who don't take advantage of life, you know, I, I can breathe, yo, I can see. You know, I have all my, my, my limbs. You know, I, I I people who that are not thankful for, for just you know live it, being able to live a life, it disappoints me. Uh, making me angry. Like, nah, no, I'm I'm not young. Kev, but different. But now where <laughs> I'm at, where I'm at, in my life. No, that do you, baby. You got to answer this. This is just you get
1: one choice. So take your time. What is the greatest hip hop song of
0: all time? Come on, you're not getting me in trouble, man. What are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> I, 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 listen, I, I I love you, but I, I'm not. You're not getting me in that trick bag. You know what I mean? Okay. I, 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 I How about know... this?
1: Let me ask it this way. Okay. If someone on another planet did not know what hip hop was, and they said, "I want to hear hip hop. Give me three songs over the decades," you would say, "Listen to th- these three songs."
0: Oh, I can, give you, I can give you one song. Now, that I can give you one song. If I, okay. was, if I went to Mars and I had to introduce somebody to hip hop, it'd be Run DMC Sucker MC. They put the record down to the bone, and now they got me rocking on the microphone, and then we're talking autograph. This year's the last champagne, Gavi and Bubble Bass. Here, oh, that's the life oh, that I lead, and you suck MC. It's that record, oh, I said, oh, I can look like that. I can <laughs> sound like, oh, I can say that. Uh, that was a record that, that changed my life. And of course, there have been lots of records over the course of my career that have inspired uh, me um, f- from the creative community. But if I had to introduce <laughs> a record to, to Martians, you know, it definitely would be uh, Run DMC, Sucker MC.
1: OK, last question. Here we go. Kevin, when someone comes across an article written about you 100 years from now, what do you want that article to say about you?
0: He was of service. He loved the culture. He wanted to provide uh, greater opportunities uh, for people. Uh, He loved being black. Uh, He loved uh, having diverse uh, minds and people around him. Uh, and he was a team builder that, that those, uh, those are the things. And, and, and it, it leads to, uh, when I turned 50, I had to figure out some words that, uh, that I would focus on. And so the, the first word was, I want to lead. Um, second word is I want to listen. The third word is I want to learn. The fourth word is I want to love. And my fifth, uh, the fifth word is I want to be of service. And so those are the things that uh, capsulate any feeling and emotion that if you if you've read, uh, looked at the obituary or anything, those are the, the words I want to be remembered by.
1: By the way, your great alliteration, you messed up with the service, but you had great alliteration going with all the L's. But but I love I love how you end <laughs> it.
0: I, I could I could have kept it going, but, but I, it, it was really I, I, maybe it's another L word for service. But uh, I, I think uh, I had to mess it up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Kevin Lyles, thank you for the conversation today.
0: God bless you, man. Please stay safe. uh, And to uh, all you guys, Lauren and Ariel and uh, Ken. Thank you, man. Conversations
1: with Dr. Ian Smith is hosted by Dr. Ian Smith. Associate producer Lauren Turner. Executive producer Ian Smith. Edited by Ken Johnson. Executive producers Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify,
0: TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts.